Hello and welcome to this episode of I Don't Know Jack About Parenting, where today I'm going to be talking about how your kids are addicted to gaming. And I have a special guest who's going to talk all about it. So the big question is this, how are parents like us, who don't have a manual, who are doing the best we can, who feel as though we aren't enough, how are we going to raise healthy, happy children who we are proud of and still keep our sanity in that process? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Ryan Roy, and welcome to I Don't Know Jack About Parenting, a podcast for parents who are being real with themselves. Hey, welcome back to this episode of I Don't Know Jack About Parenting, where today we're going to be talking about how your kids are addicted to gaming, and I have a special guest. His name is Tom Andre, and he has a background in psychotherapy, correct? Correct. He is also an entrepreneur. He is currently in commercial or, or well, residential, right, uh, real estate here in the Atlanta area, and he has a wealth of information. One of the reasons I wanted to bring Tom on uh, is not too long ago I saw in a USA Today article that it is official that gaming is considered to be an addiction. And I think all of us out there may, or at least I felt this way, that it is something that was completely an addiction, but now they have the data to back it up. So Tom's going to be on today. Tom, thank you so much for coming on. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Sure, I'd love to. Um, Let's see. I grew up uh, in the 80s, and I really resonated with the games that had come out in the 80s. Um, and at the time, the big difference was the, uh, the great games with the good quality uh, images and such were in the arcade. And I used to have to cross a busy street. I needed quarters and access to get into the arcade. So it always open retail hours. And so um, in trying to find my identity, my, back, my corporate background was in IT. Mm-hmm. So I was swimming with the same people. Uh, a lot of gamers in IT. Um, I gamed a little myself as an adult. Um, but the way I look at it is when trying to find my identity, when I switched careers in the psychotherapy and trying to find my identity, I was going, you know, the addiction field is very busy and there's a lot of people that have more compelling stories, whether you be on the process side of the addiction. And that process addictions involve something with a non-substance um, Drug and alcohol is on one side, process on the other side. So shopping, auctioning, um, gambling, food is a substance, but it qualifies on the process addiction side. And, and so in looking around in the area, I was thinking, what, is really, what really speaks to me? Where do I have a lot of um, knowledge? And I thought, wow, you know what? I, I saw it with, with the emergence of uh, VHS and DVDs and the other, and they, they were in cars when I was in my IT career and the handheld games, and I really just saw it take off. And, and some of the same people, uh, friends of mine who have kids in that age group, which would now be like between 20 and 30, I saw it really start to affect their lives. They would stay up late. Uh, they would start to exhibit what we call aberrant behavior. Um, and so that's what I decided to specialize in. And I did it at a time before it was an official addiction. So. Interesting enough, what I would do is I would describe how I work and who I work with, 
And then maybe to somebody like yourself, which is kind of what happened when, when you and I met. And then a couple of days later, I would see that person again, a week or two later, and they would say, look, I, 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 I see what you're talking about. I see it everywhere. Uh, and so it just went on from there. And so I really decided to specialize in it. It was at a very early time in the industry. Um, but in the Atlanta area, there was, really wasn't anybody who, who really knew how to treat it and what to do with it. So that leads me into this next question, right? So uh, dealing with the seven and a half year old right now, all of his friends are gaming. He has a gaming system. Uh, one of the challenges that I've faced with in, on a daily basis, it feels like over the last couple of weeks, is him telling me that his, his friends right, are able to play these games that are outside of his rating. And to be honest with you, you know, he's like, oh, it's rated T, Dad. And I was like, okay. So what does T stand for? He says teen. I said, well, you're seven, not 13, 14, 15. Therefore, it's not rated for you. And, and he, yeah, but my friends are doing it. And I said, well, that's fine for them. And if that's what they do in their household, that's their household. You know, so one of the challenges on me, he wants to play these games. I allow him to play games in his age range, but you already see that peer pressure to play games that are outside their realm. But more importantly, just the, the fact that he wants to come home after a long day and just play video games at times is, is alarming at some level to me. And I imagine some other parents feel the same way. So, you know, could you speak to that thought process a little bit? Sure, absolutely. You know, the, the, one of the things you have to realize is, and you can take adult behavior or child behavior in the same, is that we operate in a cohort, an, an age group. Uh, maybe you uh, have friends that kind of look like you in, in terms of age group and age of kids, and you kind of look across the board and you start to moderate yourself with what other people are doing. Not everybody. But, but a lot of people, it's just like your son's getting the peer pressure. He's kind of giving you some of the peer pressure. Mm -hmm. You're going to talk to those parents, and you kind of do the same thing. Adults do the same thing. I mean, you can look at it and in real estate. You can look at the mortgage meltdown and, and see everybody had taken money out of their house. And in hindsight, maybe that wasn't the best idea. Mm -hmm. But what happens is your, your neighbors do it. You do it. Everybody else seems to be doing it. It seems kind of normal. Maybe you can even say that with uh, – ADHD type of medication. Everybody seems to have ADHD nowadays, much more prevalent. Um, what I noticed in, in the gaming thing, and this is early on, so pre-official diagnosis stage, there were still some studies about internet gaming, but they weren't centralized. They didn't use the same terms. Um, everybody was kind of off on their own little tangent. And some of the things I picked up on during that time was um, self-regulation. You know, hopefully as a, um, as in a well-adjusted young person, adolescent, preteen, young adult, adult, you learn how to moderate yourself. And what happens sometimes is we all have our little favorite thing we like to do. Some people might exercise too much. Some people might drink too much. Some people might gain too much. And you, that becomes a source of, um, of challenge to your self-regulation. And so one of the things for parents to consider is, is that are they self-regulated? Because you're modeling that behavior every day to your, to your child. If you can't have dinner and not pick up the phone because it buzzes, there's a very good chance that your child is going to pick up on those same behavioral cues. And 
So one of the things was is that uh, parental regulation leads to self-regulation. You're, moder you're moderating uh, that to your child. The other thing to consider is, is that uh, we all have our own unique family histories. We all have our own unique uh, uh, socialization. Sometimes you might have parents that relocate to a new area and that young child doesn't have the friends they used to have. So they kind of use gaming to connect to their friends. That, that's one of the big things, I think, even with phones and computer nowadays, is if you take that away from your child, not saying a seven-year-old should have that, but I'm saying if you take away from your preteen, adolescent, young adult, you're really cutting them off from their friends because that's how they all communicate. So a lot of times people would ask me the tough question, um, my, my patient's parents, should I go cold turkey? I'm like, you know, it's very difficult to answer that because uh, you're really cutting them off. I always tell people, you know, this phone does so much for me. This, this turns on my heat. I can change my temperature in my house without leaving my, my chair. I can uh, transfer a bank balance. I can Venmo money. I can, you know, this is the, uh, I call this the electronic Leatherman or a Swiss Army knife. Yeah. This has 50 different purposes. Maybe some people just use them for one or two purposes and maybe some ancillary purposes. But for me as a business person, um, or even when I was um, a full-time therapist, I'm you know, booking appointments, doing a lot of things through this. So I'm picking it up often. So I would describe myself as I'm a high engager, uh, sometimes abuser, um, but I have to learn how to put it down. One of the things to think about is if this, if this or a game engages you, it's really hard to switch from that and pick up a book uh, and have it have the same hook. Like uh, the, the, the way the technology is written and coded, it's coded to give you a reward system. And so they give you a few rewards up front, you get a little euphoria, and then they start to stretch it out and you just don't get the same uh, kind of hit. And, and then they uh, suggest maybe if you buy the power pack, you can uh, get back on top and get back on top of your game. And then really the same thing happens um, for people who do drugs to reduce anxiety. Often that drug becomes the creation of the anxiety. It compounds it. But at first it kind of took off the edge. So it's a complex situation and you really need to kind of look at all the factors involved. Um, socialization, background, heredity, um, any physical issues going on that limits them from engaging in their friends with sports and such. Um, but really the key takeaway is just to recap, it's really you consider teaching your child how to self-regulate. Well, I love and that. By, by, nature, by nature, children and adolescents aren't very good self-regulators. You know, I used to have candy for, for, uh, for, for breakfast uh, when I was uh, in seventh grade. That wasn't the best decision. No, but you learn from it, and I imagine at some level, you know, you realize at some point this isn't the best choice for me going forward, and you started to self-regulate. You don't look like a guy who's still having candy for breakfast at this age. So, but I love this self-regulation thing, right? So when, when I think about self-regulation, you know, I, I often on this podcast talk about, you know, creating boundaries for children and having them make choices right their own choices and giving them multiple choices not like hey i'm just going to take away your game i right. I literally say to my 
son, often, hey, what do you want your punishment to be if you don't do X, Y, Z? Or what, what do you want the consequence to be if you don't do X, Y, Z? Because I'm asking you to do this, and if you don't perform, what is – and he'll give me answers. And sometimes his answer is no games for two weeks. And that's way wow. more – that's way wow. more harsh. Well, I also say, hey, you know that daddy follows through on his consequences. So you better pick something strong enough because if you don't pick it strong enough, I'll make it strong enough. Yeah. But he goes above and beyond, and, and, and we've had to implement, implement some of those things. I actually, one day, uh, he was being watched by his grandmother, and I have access on my phone, right? The 50 things it does uh, to how much gaming he actually does. And grandma was watching him for a couple of days. I looked at my phone, and I checked in, and I was like, 12 hours today. So I came home, and I said, hey, uh, did you play some games today? He says, yeah. I said, how long? Almost all day. And I said to him, I said, you can put that in check or I can put that in check. He didn't play self-regulated for three weeks. Right. For three weeks. Now, I think he thought that he just banked a lot of time <laughs> <laughs> because then one day he's like, Dad, can I play? And can I play? And I said, no, you didn't, you didn't accumulate time. We still have and we're now limiting it to an hour a day. Um, right. But I think as parents, we need to – give them choices. We need to help them learn to self-regulate, right? By giving them options. And, and the strongest thing, and, and Tom, as, as, as a psychotherapist, let me ask you, you know, I think we need to just ultimately, one, create a boundary, but enforce the consequence. And, and I believe um, in, in this, in, in all areas of life for these children, and not just gaming, uh, I think that's the biggest deficiency we have in our parenting skills as I look across the board and talk to parents these days. Yeah, I think you're, you know, a um, couple things that you said that kind of um, jogged my memory about some things. What you're talking about is you're talking about scaling adulthood. You know, the, go the, the goal of a parent, right, is to get your child to be, uh, enter an emerging adulthood phase and to, you know, work through the issues and decide on a career. One of the things to consider is, we're all navigating life stage changes. You at your age with your relationship and marriage and your kid's age, me at my age, we're all still navigating things. You know, I kind of kid around and I'm like, we all have not matured much past eighth grade, you know, in some <laughs> cases. In some cases, people revert back to, you know, uh, a previous time in their life. And what you're trying to do is scale that in responsibility. One question I'd have for you is, does your seven-year-old have chores? Does they have responsibilities to feed the cat or the dog or stuff like that? He has responsibility in our house. I, I honestly, there, there are, is not a lot of that responsibility. If I ask him to do any of those things, he does it, right? So that, that, like, hey. That's responsibility right there. I mean, it's like having a manager at work. It's like, you know, you're asked to do things. There's a scope of work that typically people have, and then there's the okay, this is what needs to be done right now. The trash needs to be taken out. And you, you know what? You're on call. So you're taking yeah, if I say if I say, hey, Ritzy needs to be fed right now, can you give her a scoop of food? Uh, without hesitation, he'll go do it. If I say, hey, can you take the trash out to the street? He'll do it. Uh, but there's nothing etched out. I, actually, the one responsibility he has, I tell him that mommy and daddy have to work. Your responsibility is to perform at your best level, whatever that may be, when you go to school. Right. Yeah, that's, 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 that's his responsibility. Yeah, and, and, and the school, I will say school and schoolwork and performing and 
you know, that is a responsibility and that is the focus of work. I mean, when you look back on it, it's like, wow, childhood was pretty darn good compared to the adulthood. And parenting as well. Yeah. But I think uh, you're talking about scaling. You're talking about giving somebody enough responsibility. And what happens is if you think about this, when you have a problem that you can't handle, whether it be a medical problem, a car problem or whatever, uh, and you've tried to fix it, okay, then what's the next step? Like how do you seek out help? And how do you get the right amount of help? So if you're a child and you're poor in math and you need a math tutor, you raise your hand, you work through the, the, the teacher and then your parents and they're going to hear about it. Uh, and then you find somebody who can actually uh, give that help, whether it be one of the people I have mentioned or, or a specialist. Um, and the same thing in this type of area. A lot of times people, people would come in and say, I want you to fix my kid. And the reality is, is that it was a long period of time that they contributed to the break of the kid, if you consider it a break-fix issue. Um, and it's not going to be a quick fix in terms of how, um, there's not gonna be a, a switch to flip. Now, some people, just like in with drug and alcohol addiction, there are some people that can flip the switch and, and really change and improve their lives very fast. However, there's another, and most people struggle with the decision-making and the moderation, and they do all that stuff. And some people learn how to moderate it and continue on with it, and other ones, don't moderate it enough. Some are functioning people and some are non-functioning people. So um, for some of my adolescents that I used to see, I would tell their parents, don't finish your basement or they have a finished basement because sometimes the kids go down there, they're out of the way, the parents enjoying some quiet time, but the kids are down there gaming uh, quite a bit. They're becoming obese, they're inactive, they have a very poor diet, they're loading up on energy drinks, which the irony in the DSM, and that's the book of diagnoses, uh, in the DSM uh, 4, I believe it was, caffeine disorder, which was a proposed disorder, was right next to internet gaming disorder. And wow. there's a whole contingent of, of uh, and I read a lot of research on this, the prediction was is there's going to be a whole cohort of young people, and cohort is just an age group, almost like a, like a generation, if you will. There's going to be a whole cohort of people that have uh, heart problems because they're going to have adrenal fatigue and they're going to have health issues based on consuming too many energy drinks at once. And so maybe that's not appropriate for the seven-year-old that you have, but for somebody who has a, a, a teen, I mean, obviously with the emergence of the coffee industry, there's teens that go in and like their, you know, coffee and specialized drinks, but you also have energy drinks that have root extracts and different things in them. So there's a compounding effect of, of uh, sleepless nights because too much caffeine and energy. And also really the gains themselves uh, can, can and do strain your brain in terms of adrenal fatigue and, and multi-sensory processing simultaneously. I used to be fairly good at games when I was a kid, but there was a, two buttons, maybe a rollerball and a couple things. And now it's, it's so... Uh, ambidextrous and you're using all your fingers and all your eyes and in some cases you have a headset on a microphone and I, I just I can't hang you know I just don't spend enough time in it and I really don't want to spend enough time in it because I realized I've, I've invested a considerable time in my youth doing these things and uh, I could have been doing some other more productive things in hindsight 
You know, and I'm right there with you. You know, you said to self-regulate so that your kids, right? The, the, the parents need to self-regulate because our kids, for lack of a better term, are going to mirror that behavior, correct? So just recently, I had one game in my phone that I would mindlessly, while watching something in the background, while I wound down in the evening, you know, have and uh, whatever the game was, I don't even know the name of it, but I would just mindlessly sit there and play it almost like a Tetris. So mindlessly forgot the name. <laughs> yeah, well, it didn't, because it doesn't matter, right? I was just sitting there doing it, and, and my son would see me doing this, and he was like, oh, you love that game. You're always playing that game. Why, why do you love that game? And the other day, I thought to myself, one, it's a waste of time, right? I could be reading something, listening to an audio book, doing anything other than that game. And I don't want my son to model that behavior. So I did. And he had a few games in my phone occasionally that he would play. So I did this about three weeks ago. I deleted all the games out of my phone. And just about two days ago, he says to me, he said, dad, can I have your phone? We're in the car. I said, sure, go ahead. Where are all the games? I said, uh, dad deleted them. Why'd you do that? I said, it's just not a good use of my time. Yeah. And he, and he says, well, you deleted my games too? I said, well, you don't really use my phone much. Uh, you have your gaming systems. And, and I thought the only real time you use my phone is occasionally in the car. And I'd much rather connect you in the car. And he's like, okay, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was a great reaction because it had been some weeks since I actually deleted it, which let me know that he really doesn't grab my phone that much. I haven't missed it one bit, right, personally. Yep. I've probably been way more productive in the last few weeks. And it just, you know, so when you said that, I was like, well, I'm glad I did that just so that he can mirror that. He'll be able to put down the game. Why? Because hopefully he sees that dad put down the game and it just didn't serve him. Who am I well, to tell him? Also, what to do? There's also the value of connection. But let me t touch on one thing before I lose my place. Please. You know, I used to, when I was getting my master's in counseling, um, Writing was a struggle for me. I'm actually, I've become a very good writer. Uh, but when I sit down to write, I, I get a little surge of anxiety. And I go to the mailbox and I go to the refrigerator. And, and then sometimes I'm doing push-ups, anything to burn off the anxiety. I would also play a few games. And, and somehow there's a soothing mechanism. So determining what the motivation is of why you're playing the game and why somebody else is playing the game. And then also how much time are you putting into it? And like you said, for you, you noticed that it was taking you off of um, more productive things. Mm -hmm. Now, in other cases, some people are so productive, they need to burn a little time and do something um, semi-mindless uh, or, or something that engages you to, to either relax or reduce your anxiety. So understanding the motivation of why people are doing it. And well, also having uh, other options, I think other options like hey, let's have a conversation, let's talk, uh, let's, let's connect, let's uh, discuss something or uh, go look at cars or, or tell me about the book that you read. And that's where parents start to lose their kids in the sense that they don't know anything about the games, they don't know anything about the motivation. They're just supplying the money, supplying the gaming system, supplying the, the house with the food, um, and then, you know, 15 years later to look at themselves and going, how come this kid isn't where I was at 15 or 20 or 25 at 25? I was married and had three kids. And they're like, this kid's 25. He doesn't have a job. He doesn't have a direction. We would call that cohort failure to launch. They haven't left the nest successfully. 
but there's no reason to leave the nest because they're supplied enough money to live and food to, to eat and and they might have dreams there's also you know the fantasy of becoming a professional uh, internet gamer. gamer and now there's uh, esports and there's different there, there's it's achievable for some people but much like much like the NFL is achievable for you or me you know it, it was probably a dream that we had or something we sort of uh, toyed with but the reality is, is uh, we didn't have the physical ability. We weren't destined to do that. And uh, it, it was a, you know, as we would call, like a pipe dream or a, you know, a pie in the sky um, type of activity. So, yeah, so motivation is important. So I want to touch on that because the motivation for me at one point being a, a very busy, highly productive person, I have my goals. I set them each day. I uh, set out to accomplish, and most days I do accomplish what I set out to accomplish. Uh, it was, it started off that way, right? It started off of, oh, I just need something, but it turned into, oh, let me beat that next level. Ah, oh, let me get to the next level. And, and, and that's where it turned into now. What did that next level, what did beating that next level do for you? Uh, nothing. For me, well, nothing. Maybe a boost of confidence or self-esteem or a jolt, or something. You got something out of it. Well, or I got to avoid what I needed to do. You know, like I, like you just said, hey, I, maybe I have a little anxiety towards something. Hey, I got to get on an interview. I have to do a podcast, and I'm not quite sure how I'm going to do that. Let me just sit here and like wind down and relax, and then that turns into, you know what, I'll do the podcast tomorrow because I just wasted 25 minutes, and I only had, you know. 45 minutes and I know this is a half hour podcast that I need to record so now I'll put it off to tomorrow and those are where the challenges come in because you lose track of 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 your own time and and I definitely don't want that for my my children so let's lead into that you know how parents who see uh like maybe in my age or you know my son's age he's seven and a half uh, obviously, he l- loves gaming. All of his friends are gaming, and you see maybe some negative effects long term down the road. How could we either create some boundaries, or I'm even considering, you know, just cutting out gaming altogether because uh, I I just don't want him to be addicted to it. Is is there such thing as moderation in gaming from your perspective? Um. Yeah, absolutely. Um, of the of the people, and I'll say, uh, let me just, I, I didn't do this in the beginning, but uh, my, I have a master's in counseling. I have an undergrad in um, interpersonal and organizational communications. I have a master's in counseling. I have some specialized credentials in the gaming area. Uh, and I've probably seen uh, more gamers and even had a group for gamers at one time here, here in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that um, I, and I will say this, out of the, all the people I saw, I saw very few people that I would have considered by, there were several standards at the time, but I saw very few people that I would consider addicts. Um, there, there was some out there, but they weren't coming into my office. Um, often it was uh, a loved one bringing them into the office because they saw what was going on more so than um, than the person doing it. And that's no, not, not uncommon addiction. Um, mm. the motivations were various. Uh, some of it was social anxiety. I don't want to go to the school dance. So I'm going to stay home and game, or I'm going to stay home and get on my YouTube page. that has 5,000 followers. So 
they don't have social anxiety on the internet, but they, yeah. you know, because it's a little, it's a different environment than in person. And when they go to the school dance, their, their anxiety goes up. So they have a, uh, I would say they would have like a life in balance. That's how I would describe it to most parents and most uh, of my patients. And that is, and often, you know, my apple tree, a lot of times the parents didn't always have the greatest life balance either. So it, it was a conglomeration of, of things. And to tease those things out, I, I could get people to uh, get better or trend better by figuring out what are the things that they really trying to avoid and how can we build that up? So some of it wasn't even related directly to gaming. Now, some were would wake up in the middle of the night and hack their parents' network and steal the parents' work <laughs> computer and, and do a sloppy job at putting it back. So, you know, and, and they would eventually get caught. And that, that's kind of common in the addiction field as well is that um, you think you're slick, but you're not. Or you steal your parents' credit card, you charge $300 of buying superpowers for your game, and, you know, that's going to come out sooner or later. Yeah. Um, so what's the motivation of, of, of getting better or balancing life? And also, you know, can you give up the technology completely, or are you going to have to live with it? And that's very hard because there's a lot of jobs now that require, you know, computers and work from home and other things that require the self-regulation type of skills. But... Um, and so I would look at it physically. I would look at it socially. I would look at what are they trying to achieve? What are they trying to avoid? What's going on in the family that may be contributing? You know, if there's stressors in the family. And then also, what's their ideal? Like, where do they want to go? Parents and theirs didn't always quite match. But um, the parents were controlling the first string. So they were regulating things as the person got older and older, like money. You know, if you got an allowance, you your allowance might be constricted, um, but they weren't quite in control of their child or their adolescence. And I would tell them, you know, the, the kid, he's like a long-term prison inmate. He's got a, all day long to, to, to figure out how he's going to hack your network, get online, get on the neighbor's Wi-Fi, whatever the case may be. Whereas you're managing multiple things going on and you're not as in tune with going on. You'd find out sooner or later but you, you may not find out right away. And it, it really become, I, I mean, I saw this, um, I saw this one example and I said, you know, I was at a restaurant, family of six goes out, one kid's into gaming, literally walking like this, gaming, and the father would turn the kid's head every time they would have to turn left to go to the table, the father would take the kid, turn left. They'd get up to the next turn, the kid is not walking. We all know that people can be on technology and not pay attention. Kid had no idea where he was walking. He didn't eat. He didn't engage in conversation at the table. And I would point this out to people. Yeah. They would come back to me a week or two later going, oh, my God, I can't not, not see that now. And I said, I know. We're on the verge of an epidemic. And the thing about this is, is much like food, if you're a food addict, you have to learn how to control food. You can't live without food. It's going to be very hard to live without technology. So how do you learn to control it? and not let it overtake your life and overtake your brain. And really, that's what we're talking about is uh, the, the brains are getting rewired and, and sort of hacked themselves. Wow. So we're on the verge of an epidemic here is what you're telling me. Well, I think we're already there. I think, I mean, this is, <laughs> I'm, I'm going a couple years yeah. back. So, so let me tell, tell, just say one other thing. I grew up in real estate and I, I was dabbling in real estate while I was a counselor. Mm. And, uh, 
dealing with people that are going through stressful issues. So life stage changes, like a marriage or a divorce or a death in the family or some sort of fracture. That's what cause, causes most real estate moves. So um, in the same light of doing counseling with kids and families and, and, and young adults, um, in my real estate practice, that's kind of what I do. I facilitate people as they're going through a buying or selling of a house. But there's typically something going on in the background that's kind of a, um, even if it's just where you're sleeping and laying your head and where your family, where you want them to be secure, um, that, that's very emotionally charged. So I'm kind of borrowing my counseling skills and bringing in the real estate. So that's, that's kind of where if people are wondering why you're talking to a, a real estate agent's broker who is <laughs> a, a therapist is, um, and I grew up in real estate. This is what my dad did for 50 years. So I, I kind of fell. Um, I still, I still keep my counseling license. I'm an LPC in the state of Georgia, so a licensed professional counselor. Um, I was on the board of the licensed professional counselors association of Georgia. Um, I, I practice in private practice primarily. And, uh, but the, but the reality is, is that, uh, I'm not practicing internet gaming right now. I know there's going to be a lot of people that call me and you're welcome to call me. I'll give you uh, a few minutes of my time and point you in a direction. Um, I'm a helpful person by nature, but, uh, I'm really using my counseling skills with families in real estate and, and helping them through a transaction in a, in a trusted way. Yeah, and, and that's fantastic. And when I met Tom uh, several weeks ago, we agreed to like get together and, and talk about this. As as someone who has a, a parenting podcast, you guys know I don't know jack about parenting. And when anybody else has a little bit of knowledge in an area that I know I have none, I always like to listen. I like to pass it on to you, the guests uh, of, of this podcast. Um, when when I when I met him, I said, "What a dynamic person, right?" He and when he just explained it the way he just explained it to you, it makes perfect sense to me. I have a background; I used to flip houses at, at some point. And you're right; a lot of those houses were uh, distress sales. A lot of them were a family member uh, passing away, and the family was in a life stage where they had small children and they were out of state and they didn't know what to do with it. Um, and there's a lot that goes into that emotionally that I imagine you're able to help your clients with, whether they're purchasing or they're selling, no matter what, it's a major life, life stage change. And, and moving, if, if correct me if I'm wrong, isn't moving like one of the top two or top three most stressful things people do in their life? I, you know what? <laughs> I, I, I believe so. I believe so. Because there's a lot involved. Uh, you, you know, I will say this, even some of my real estate clients, I can, they have problems with anxiety, problems with managing stress, problems with, uh, they might have bought or sold a house or two in the past, but they don't do it very often. And there's a, there's a, there's a loss or an adjustment involved. Sometimes I have to let go of some things, especially if there's a divorce involved. Um, if there's a death involved, uh, I look back on my history of clients. I sold a house to a widower who bought a house sight unseen to relocate to this area mm. six months after her husband died. And uh, she bought it cash and she didn't even look at it first other than online. Um, have people in hospice that their adult children are selling their house. I have people that uh, have already passed away and their children are selling their house. And, and, you know, there's a powder keg of emotions that go with that. And there's, there's some things that people, there's nothing, no life stage change going on, but, but just from the mere fact of uh, the money involved or um, 
uh, or uh, where your family lays their head. I always think where you sleep is very deeply emotional to people and they want to feel very secure with their decisions. So I act as a guide and really the same, I think the parallel to counseling is, is that um, I, I describe this and this is borrowed. This is not Tom Andre generated, but I would describe counseling as I was like a farmer or a farmer consultant. Okay. My goal for helping the farmer and the farmer would be the patient would be to help them tend to the optimal conditions to create the greatest yield or growth in their life. Okay. But I'm not responsible. So the, the farmer plants seeds and I would ask people trying to determine their locus of control. Who's responsible if the farmer plants the seed? Who's responsible for the seed growing? Sometimes people would say the farmer and I would say wrong. Okay. The farmer's job is to plant the seed and then tend to the conditions of growth. So if there's too much rain, he has to deal with that, he or she. If there's too little rain, they have to deal with that. If there's too little nutrients, they have to deal with that. At the end of the day, their goal is to get the greatest yield of their crop. And so as a counselor, it's not my job to fix somebody, okay? I'm trying to facilitate the conditions to help them grow. Um, I would ask my patients, you know, where do you, if you have, if you've received benefits, where, where are they? And uh, they might be, let's say they're 75% of their goal or they reach their goal. I would, I would ask them, what do, you, what do you give counseling the credit for? You know, me one-on-one. -on -one. And they might say 10 or 20%. They might say their own reading that I may have recommended to them. Their own self-exploration might be 20%. Uh, they might have joined a group. That might be another 20%. But it wasn't all counseling. And that's, uh, the counseling was the, the catalyst to help grow. And in real estate, I do the same thing. The market's the market. I'm not the one buying the house and I'm not the one selling the house, but I'm just trying to create the optimal conditions for that person to achieve whatever their goals are and get what they want. And so there's a, there's a very close similarity to it. Not everybody kind of puts it together. I describe it as chocolate and peanut butter, you know, those <laughs> two things taste great together, but somebody had to have put them together in the beginning. So that, that's what I do. And I, but I ended up, I end up being a resource to people who, who need help, um, you know, with their family transition. So um, I refer to therapists. Sometimes they refer to me, um, people who are, you know, parting the ways and selling their house and getting divorced. So it's, it's an emotionally assisted sale. I kind of view myself as a, a therapeutic resource, but just not somebody's therapist anymore. Yeah. And I, and I love that. I mean, I think the same thing for parenting is, is we want to create, the conditions for optimal growth in our children, right? Yeah. Uh, and in in this gaming society, um, you know, I, I'll ask you this one last question. Uh, for parents out there who are, are listening and are like, hey, you know, my kid maybe is suffering from some of these things and I don't understand the motivation for it or I don't understand this, you know, where would they reach out to? Who would they talk to? I know you said they could reach out to you, but you would redirect them somewhere else. Mm -hmm possibly like like what is the first step in even identifying this for a parent that it is like on edge and saying oh i just listened to this and i think there may be a challenge that i'd like to take head on what would that look like yeah. for them let me answer that question let me say one other thing i think you're doing very similar work you know you're you're facilitating a lot of uh help for for maybe primarily fathers in terms of um overcoming some of their own history or their own issues and so i think you're doing similar work 
you may not be in the healing field, but you're certainly in the facilitation of that and uh, the betterment of people's lives. Uh, yes. So I, I Thank you. you. Um, but I'd say this, if, if, if you even have the question, um, it's worth exploring. And I, just like with any other, most other problems, early intervention is, is important because sometimes um, I'd use the metaphor of like, I consider myself a carpenter or maybe a, a psychological carpenter. And so I want to learn how to use a hammer and a saw and a screwdriver. And I want to, I want a host of tools around my tool belt. Um, I come from the generation where parents wanted me to go cold turkey and study for four hours. I'm not wired that way. My brain is way too active. So I learned in college, I can study for 15, 10, 15, 20 minute increments, whatever my mind can hold attention to. And then I need a five or 10 minute break and I go back to it. So often I think parents are dealing with things that uh, if they get a little more information, a little more support, much like you're supplying them, then they can actually uh, start to head off some problems on, at the pass. They're more than welcome, and you'll provide my contact information. Uh, they're more than welcome to reach out to me. Um, often people seek help uh, based on what insurance they have, what counselors are available in their area, and then what are those counselors treating. So that's, that's kind of a challenge because this area is still relatively new, and there's just not a lot of help. Uh, when I was doing this, I was getting people that would drive quite far to come for help because it was specialized. Mm -hmm. With the emergence of uh, internet-based counseling, so much like what we're doing right now, they can get help in, in, in areas, as long as you're within the state, you can practice your, your craft. So they can reach counselors who are willing to do online therapy. But um, so there's a couple, like I said, the recap, there's, there's community resources, there's going through your insurance company and seeing who's available, and then there's who's the specialist and what's it going to cost. Um, but beyond that, there's a ton of information online about this. Um, as with everything else nowadays. So people can help self-educate themselves to, to some degree. But just a forewarning, it's really hard to provide your own counseling to yourself. I, I kind of kid around real estate and I say, well, WebMD is the doctors, you know, Zillow, real estate agents. You know, people come in and say, I have this disease, you know, I meet all these criteria and the doctor's have to do two jobs now they have to sort of untie that person from from their diagnosis and in your head you're thinking the worst but um and so that that's kind of you know it's you can get some information online but i wouldn't sort of buy into it wholeheartedly you know and don't solely trust, rely on it trust but verify and then also you don't always know the source online if there's any i, I mean i'm speaking to this with with several years of experience and some personal experience but um I've not been in the counseling field at least two years. So I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, the most qualified at the moment, or at least the most relevant to mm -hmm. speak to this, but I've definitely saw some trends that I still continue to observe today. Um, and so uh, I would start online. I would start with trying to find groups that may be of uh, community groups or support groups. And then maybe some therapists who, who specialize in that area. And they can always reach out to me and I'll do my best to make a referral for them. Fantastic. And for those podcast listeners where it's strictly audio, would you like to tell them where you can, uh, where they can find you? And then for those of you who may want to go to my website, the show notes will be on be the dead you wish you had dot com forward slash podcast. Where could they sure. reach out to you, Tom? 
Okay, uh, my name is Tom Andre, A-N-D-R-E is my last name, and you can find me at consultingandre.com. Um, my email address is tom at consultingandre.com. There is no accent over the E. Uh, you can reach me out. Uh, my number is 678-472-1934. As I said, I'm happy to help. Uh, I still facilitate some people in certain directions for help in this area. Just just understand that I'm, um, uh, I will get to you as I can. I usually pretty quick response, uh, but I'd be more than happy to help any way I can. Fantastic, Tom. You've been a wealth of information. For those of you who don't know, I don't know Jack about parenting. This concludes this interview with Tom, and thank you so much for your time, and, and hopefully maybe we'll have you on for another episode at some point in the near future. Do you want to be the dad you wish you had? If so, go get my free book, Be the Dad You Wish You Had, at bethedadyouwishyouhad.com. Inside, you'll find my most effective 40 tips to quickly and easily transform yourself into the ideal dad. Go to bethedadyouwishyouhad.com now and get it while it's free.